Hi, Gary. Thank you so much for having me. My name is Dean Liu. I am the author of Friends Are Friends Forever, a picture book about Lunar New Year, immigration, traditional Chinese paper cutting, and the power of resilience and friendship. I'm Disha Filia, and I'm the author of The Secret Lives of Church Ladies, a collection of nine stories about Black women, sex, and the Black church. My name is Jerry Kraft. I'm the author and the illustrator of the graphic novels New Kid and Class Act. My name is Anne Winter, and I am an author of children's books. I live in Austin, Texas. Hi everyone, um, thank you Gary so much for having me on. This is a huge pleasure. My name is Andre Fenton. I'm a young adult author and poet, spoken word artist from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Hi Gary, thank you so much. Um, I am Andrea Wang. I write books for kids and most recently uh, my picture book, Watercress, and my debut middle grade novel, The Many. It's personal. Dean, how are you? How are things going? I am pretty well. How are you? I'm doing great. And again, I want to just thank you for being so flexible um, in these times. I know that uh, everyone has their stuff that they are going through. Um, all things considered, obviously. Um, overall, how are things feeling in regards to the work, um, the writing, um, just like, you know, what's happening in the world, how are things in general? Um, you know, I, I would have to say things are well on the personal front. Um, we are grateful in so many ways. Um, I think the pandemic was very difficult in the beginning for us. My husband is a frontline health worker. So it was very scary because the information was scarce and, you know, we have two small children. Our second child was an infant when the pandemic started. So it was just, it's been a very, um, you know, a very tense, intense kind of two and a half, two years um, for us on that front. But I think things are, we're, we're understanding what we're dealing with a lot better um, and we cope, right? That's what we're good at as humans. And uh, I think our work schedule has also evolved in many, many ways. You, as, as parents, you just take on so much more during a pandemic um, and you learn to work when other people are sleeping, so. <laughs> yeah, that, that's exactly it, right? I think we, I don't know, sometimes I guess, unfortunately do have to adjust and have to feel uncomfortable in so many ways because the world is adjusting and it's just what we do to cope. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, I'm, I appreciate your time and I'm super excited to, you know, just chop it up today and get to know you a little bit better. Um, you have lived in many places, um, born in China. Can you talk a little bit about um, that transition, even though it might have been when you were um, younger? Um, what do you remember about moving? Um, uh, what are some of those feelings that come to mind when you think about it? Um that's a really great question. I think remembering that period of change and transition uh, was the reason I wrote Friends Are Friends Forever. Um, you know, there were just so many moments in that period that are unforgettable. 
Um, I remember arriving in America and seeing the environment for the first time, just how different it was from where I lived, how I grew up, and seeing so many cars. I think the reality of China, big city China versus America, that distance has um has become less. But when I was growing up, it was certainly, you know, bicycles everywhere rather than cars um, in the city where I grew up. And, um, and I think one of the memories I have as the child of an immigrant, of immigrants, and also an immigrant myself was once my English was good enough to communicate with everybody, I became the person, the point person to communicate with the outside world on my parents' behalf. Whether it's the telephone company because we're switching international calling plans, <laughs> or, you know, dealing with any issue regarding my school, having to translate a form that my parents had to sign. Um, I think my dad was very good at his work language because he worked in science, but the, the colloquial and the daily language was different, right? It's, it's a total code switch within English. And so I was always the point person for dealing with the daily lives of, you know, what we needed to get done. Oh, and it's, I have so many questions just based off of that answer um just the idea I literally just talked to someone the other day about the idea of code switching and I can only imagine what that was like for uh, an immigrant child coming in and trying to um probably I guess on one end feeling so excited um but also the anxiousness anxiety around fitting in or finding your place in this new new home um when you think about transition that's what so many people kids humans in general just go through um, and it can be on one end again exciting or it could be you know um, really hard for a kid really really hard for a kid I think anything that's difficult makes us grow up grow up faster right all of a sudden I was dealing with for example a bill that my parents couldn't understand from some company or a rental agreement from the apartment from the landlord and I was the one reading through all of that and trying to translate it for for my folks to be able to sign it right? To not get into a bad deal or get into a contractual hole. And so it was, it was a lot. Um, but I think you also become so much more a team. Um, I was my parents' teammate in so many ways. I'm an only child. So I was there. <laughs> it was the three of us. My mom um, used to say each of us had a role. Like looking back, we each had a role and was pivotal. Like we were all pillars in our own ways. And it was pivotal that all of us stayed strong and capable through it all. Any pillar falling over, <laughs> the whole thing would just fall apart. Um, I think that's a really relatable experience uh, for a lot of families, whether you're immigrants or facing any other kinds of um you know, challenges in life. Yeah. Wow. I love that. Um, a, a partner, a team, a teammates, like to think about, I think kids, parents play so many roles beyond the daughter, son, um, sibling, child, like that relationship. And I, I love that, that example. Um, I want to go back to your, your mentioning of um, your English being good enough. Um, and I hear that quite often specifically like in international schools where kids and parents have those comments um, and understandingly so if for some cases where they are hoping their kids go off to universities or go back to their home country, which is America, um, et cetera. Um, how did you know that um, it was good enough in regards to uh, maybe friendships, school, et cetera. Like, how did you know that it was all of a sudden good enough? Someone said to me, you know, you are fluent in a language once you start dreaming in it. <laughs> 
I think I was fluent for a lot longer before I started dreaming in English. Um, but I, I really think it's having the confidence of speaking to strangers, you know, having the confidence to speak to them and understand what they are communicating with you. You just know all of a sudden, I, I, I think it's not like a sudden click, but all of a sudden in terms of, you know, maybe in the span of a month, you really just feel like, oh, I'm there. And I, I got to look, I, I got to feel that experience a couple of times. The first time with English when I was a tween. And the second time I was about 18, 19, and I learned French and I speak French fluently, a little less fluently these days because I don't have the environment to speak it. But um, during undergrad, I studied French and I uh, was at Laval, which is in Quebec City. And that was much more conscious. You know, when you learn a language younger, um, so many things you don't know, and therefore any language, any kind of labeling you learn is already new, right? It, and they're all equal. But when you're older and you have already acquired a certain amount of understanding, a, a certain construct of how we label things, when you learn it older, something new, it feels harder right? Because it's challenging the construct you already have. When you're younger, it's all equal. There's no construct. And the younger you are, the less of a construct it, there is. Um, so I think learning French when I was um, almost 20, it was a much more conscious experience. Mm -hmm. Wow. And it's just making me think about all the identity work that I try as much as possible to do in my classroom. Um, and just having kids try to understand that they are made up of so many different things, like yourself. And I think listening to you is just like you are so around in regards to travel in regards to experiences and I think as you know like identity isn't just like these beautiful things like these ex there's our hard experiences that shape our identities as well um, and I want to get there a little bit with you because when I also think about good enough I, I wonder um, in regards to you going to UFT which I'm assuming I've never been to UFT but I'm assuming it was pretty um, diverse in regards to population, but it could be wrong. Um, your high school experience, um, what did that look like in regards to being quote unquote, like good enough um, in those environments where you may not have or may have been um, different than other people there? Um, you know, I grew up in Toronto during my uh, high school and undergrad years. And Toronto is a very, very diverse city. Um, definitely the most diverse city I've ever lived in. And I've also lived in um, New York City for grad school. And I would say my high school experience, I was um, different in that I didn't belong to the school district by the neighborhood I was living in because I couldn't, my parents could not afford the neighborhood that the school belonged to. But I tested it in through the gifted program. Um, so I was a commuter. Everybody else could walk to, to walk home and I always took the bus or biked. Um, and then at U of T, University of Toronto, um, it's a it's a massive school. It's an excellent school and it's also a really, really large school with three campuses. And um, I went to the downtown campus, which was huge. Um, I, I think it's a easy, it's a very easy, easy place to disappear in, right? Um, because there are tens of thousands of people studying different things. And I studied poli sci and um, and literature. Um, 
I didn't feel very different then. I think just because it's so big, everybody was their own thing, doing their own thing and trying to be something new and challenge something. You know, mm-hmm. that's the yeah. beauty of undergrad, I think. Mm-hmm. And I think Toronto, and like my wife is from um, Toronto. Well, she, it's just funny because she always says she's from Toronto, but she's actually from like Richmond Hill. So it's like, right, right, right. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? So it's like, oh, yes. I understand. <laughs> she's from GPA. She's from yes. the greater Toronto area. <laughs> so I've spent lots of time in Toronto and um, I agree. And it's interesting because she'll spend time in, in Nova Scotia, which is not diverse at all. Right. Um, and we always feel it. Like I, I, home is Nova Scotia. And I think in my community, I feel at home. But when I go outside of my community, I do not feel um, as much as the same way. But then I'll come to Toronto and I'll walk down the street or I'll go into a grocery store or I'll go to a movie or whatever the case may be. And I feel very much oddly at home because of the variety okay. of people um, that I see there. So I, I totally um, agree with you. you. You can, you can disappear if you want to, you can stand out if you want to. There are so many um, people and places and spaces there that allow you to, to do that. So um, yeah. what, what, what was it like when you transitioned from Toronto or UFT? I think you, I want to say you went to Columbia after that, but I'm mm-hmm. not exactly sure. So what, what was the transition there? the feels are very different. You know, a public school in Canada um, versus a, you know, private institution in New York City. The vibes were just really different. Um, they were both good in different ways, but uh, but I, I think it was my, my Canadian-ness that made it feel, huh, <laughs> you know, it's, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I totally... I feel that. Um, I get that. And I'm international. And it's, uh, yeah, just certain things that you as a Canadian go through, see, hear, etc. And then I'm, to be frank, I guess, a lot of the schools that I teach in, though they're international schools, the teachers are not quite international. Mm -hmm. Um, And they don't, they don't really look like the students. Um, A lot of them do come from like, Europe area or the US or Canada, but the majority are white, to be honest. Right, um, right. So that is a whole, it's very interesting. The feel is very different um, mm-hmm. um, being here and teaching in those spaces. Um, Dean, I want to talk about your biking because you've talked about that a lot. Tell me about your biking experience in general or your love for bikes. I feel like you do have a love for bikes. I do. I would say I definitely did. I can't, I can't say now because it's, I drive a lot more living where I live now. But, um, when I was growing up, definitely I biked, I think if to save money, to not take the bus, you know, to not have to pay for the bus, but also to have the freedom of um, running my own schedule, uh, going wherever I wanted to. I always had a, bi- a bike lock and my bike. And then I was just sharing with you before you started recording how, you know, Toronto is a very snowy city during the winter and the snow glaze, glazes over and then you are biking on ice. So you have to have studded tires <laughs> for your bikes. Um, and yeah, so I've experienced all of that. 
Um, I, I'm still, I mean, I wish I lived in a place, Portland is a very big bike town, but I live in the forest and I live, um, in a more mountainous area in the city. So it's a little harder to bike and I have two little kids that I chauffeur around. So now I'm more of a driver of an electric car. So (laughs) (laughs) as you should be, that is okay. That is okay. Yes. Can you tell me a little bit about your experience with um, Friends, Our Friends, um, a beautiful book, beautifully illustrated, beautifully written. Um, You talked a little bit about the reason um, around that book, but just give us a very, um, I want to say short, but you can stretch it as long as you want to, the reason behind the book and the process that went into it. I was doing a mentorship with We Need Diverse Books, and I was writing a few um, different stories at the same time. One day, my mentor, Jim Averbeck, um, and I were talking about something, and I gave him an anecdote from my childhood. I think it was we were talking about paper cutting, and I told him about a tradition in the region where I grew up, how we would make um, snow cut, uh, paper cut snowflakes during the winter and freeze them. And he said, that's a great story. Um, but of course, that's not enough of a story, right? You have, <laughs> you need to build the story around um, a theme. So then I started just remembering, you know, all the most important memories um, of my childhood. I really like that exercise, you know, where you write down the things you remember. There's just the things that come to you first, right? And once you do, my next question always is, why do you think you remember that? Why do you think you remember those details? Um, Why are they still fresh? Why are they still connecting to you now? And then you realize why they deserve to be written about, I think. And through that kind of investigation, you know, I, I recently was telling someone that fiction is really investigative. If anything, it's maybe, I wouldn't say more investigative, but you you don't have that information readily available, right? You can't interview someone else for that information like I did as a journalist. And you can't um, have evidence just be there in the archives. Really, you are the archives. You are the person being interviewed. Um, You are the wealth of resources, right? But at the same time, I think you you also need to um, dive into the materials you do have. And so I looked at a lot of photos from our move, just my friends back back in China and my friends in North Carolina where we moved to. And all of a sudden, things started piecing together. The narrative started piecing themselves together. And um, so I think I wrote Friends Are Friends to to think about immigration in a way that is really relatable um, as an experience for not just immigrant children, but any child who has said goodbye to a friend um, and had to navigate a new community. What's really interesting is once you write a book, um, the book no longer belongs to you, right? (laughs) After I wrote the text, you know, then it belonged to Lynn, who... um, who did the beautiful illustrations. And then once we are, once it's released into the world, it belongs to the readers. And so what I find amazing is the feedback we get from readers. And a lot of them really surprised me. You know, I, I've heard from military families and uh, librarians where the community has a lot of 
um, kids who move a lot for different reasons. And they talk about how they have boys who see themselves in these girls, you know, as they move and navigate these new friendships because they know that experience. And then I've had Asian American parents say, oh, we walk into a bookstore, we walked into a bookstore and my daughter pointed at your book and said, look, that's like me and cousin so-and-so. <laughs> and that was so endearing to hear. Um, I didn't really expect that connection from the cover. You know, I, I kind of predicted that connection or at least hoped for it uh, from the content of the book, but to even have a child feel herself represented just from the cover, from the from the beautiful hug that Lynn illustrated on the cover was really heartwarming and heartbreaking at the same time, <laughs> you know? So those are kind of the delicious um, aspects of having a book in the world where you, it belongs to everyone who reads it and the connections they forge are theirs. There's so many spreads that I that I love in the book. I think the hug is obviously one of my favorites. It's just like very warm and very touching. Um, one of the most powerful spreads for me, and even made I made so many connections with, was the classroom one where the background is kind of grayed out. I, I, I think. I haven't looked at it in a little while, but I th this one really like just sticks out when I think about it. The young girl is sitting at the table and then the rest of the kids are kind of grayed out. And then there's her friend in the back who's uh, also in color. And I think it's so, you can do so much with that image in regards mm -hmm. to the words, in regards to just like inferring with kids, like, what are you feeling? Why did the illustrator do this? Like, what is the connection to the pictures? And it's just like such a powerful yeah. spread. And I love what both of you did with that. Um, I love the family. So many scenes with like family sitting around a table eating. Like that's what my family does all the time. Like you have to, it's just something like you have to do. Like my wife comes from an immigrant family as well. And like, they love round tables. It's something about round tables and her culture. It's like, we just need to sit at a round table so we can all see each other. We're all looking in each other's eyes. And like those spreads really like hit home for me as well. Um, I think one of the things I love about your work, specifically this book that like you said, it's, it's a message that you wanted to share based on your experience, but kids can truly, educators can truly, humans can truly look at it because it's so universal. It's so, it's so universal in so many ways. So thank you. Thank you for writing this beautiful story. <laughs> thank you. Oh, it's, I mean, it's such a gift to hear that from you. It's, um, you know, I, um, I think it's interesting how we are represented as humans, right? To, to think that we to think that the old way of thinking that we can only connect with those who live our experiences is such a falsity, right? Our experiences go much, much deeper than the labels of those experiences, right? Immigration is also about loss and being refound and developing a new identity. And those are universal foundational experiences that cannot be labeled 
by race or culture or nationality. Those are just things that we all go through and can connect with each other's various versions of those experiences, right? We're just living versions of the same thing. (laughs) Yeah, I I could listen to you talk forever. Oh, so true. Forever. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm being very honest. I, I would have loved to, um, I would, I want to hear so much more about the process of just creating this book, because again, the words that you use are just so intentional. The illustrations are so, everything is very intentional in regards to how everything's laid out. So I would, I think I can only imagine what that process looked like um, and working with professionals. I know that sometimes on the outside, things look easy. And I think, kids specifically just because they're I think they're younger and they they're still understanding what the publishing world looks like and even sometimes adults like they just think books and publication it just happens but I would have loved to just see your process um, and how you talked about like thinking about memories dissecting that memory finding what parts you should add what parts you need to take out and then the illustration process I can only imagine it's giving me goosebumps just thinking about it so um I I love it I really really I really do um I'm, I'm wondering and I hate I do hate asking this question so feel free to um, omit this question um, on the podcast. I do edit this, so don't worry about it. Sure. Um, I will there... hang out. <laughs> <laughs> are there, <laughs> are, there um, are there things you are currently working on? Um, and if so, are you able to share? Um, and if not, obviously that's okay as well. Yeah. Um, I actually, right before our meeting, I was tr- looking at the art for my second book with Henry Holt, uh, with the same editor. Yeah, Laura Godwin, who's incredible. Um, and I'm working with uh, an incredible artist on this book, um, another incredible artist, and it's called Lala's Dumplings. So it's a really great, you know, not follow up to friends are friends because they're not connected, but there is the love of food is definitely um, a theme in both books, more prominent in the second one. And it's about, you know, the language of love through food, but not only, it's also the language of love in a community where people are not related to each other. Um, It prominently features the Chinatown community and just the diverse people within, you know, the diaspora um, in Chinatown. And I really, it's, I I, want to say it's a heart story. My first book is also a heart story. You know, these are, I mean, why wouldn't we release our heart stories into the world, right? (laughs) I hope I, I, only release heart stories into the world. Um, and it's it was such a pleasure. I mean, one of the spreads, when I looked at it, I just had tears in my eyes. It's one of those things where you like a manuscript that you, you know, submit to a publisher, but when an artist really realizes that visual world with you, you fall in love with your story so much more. And that was how I felt today when I was looking at the, the whole book. I mean, I just, I smiled through out that read and for one of, for the climax of the story, oh, her, her, she just really brought it. So, so I'm excited for that book. It's coming out next fall. Um, and then I have a book that I co-wrote with two Olympic athletes that's coming out next spring. And it's about uh, a few dozen Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders who have made amazing contributions to our country and the world, to America and the world. And um, uh, some of them are not well-known at all. They have, you know, been uh, left out of the public discourse, definitely our educational system. So we're excited to bring them to the fore through this book. Wow. 
always doing the work. I appreciate you so much. Like, I love the heart stories. I love that you are amplifying others. Um, I, I love all the things. So I appreciate that so much. Um, and where can people find you online? Um, they can certainly find me on my website, which is my name, dlu.com. Um, they can also find me on Twitter and Instagram. Social media is kind of new to me. <laughs> I'm, I'm a bit of a hermit. <laughs> That's okay. And so, um, but yes, I can be found there and uh, I share my thoughts there as well. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you so much. This was so lovely. This was so lovely. Um,